I've met people who said this is no good and that is no good, but the thing is, is you can talk all day, but at the end of the day, if you can't do it on your horse, you can't fake that. You can't be like, oh, horse, I told these people I was going to do this. You better bring the heat today. He's going to be like, you didn't do the work yesterday or the day before. You slept in the day before that. All right. All right, we're back to the Hunt Harvest House podcast. Um, this is Dr. Hillary. I'm sitting here with Ryan. Um, we just wanted to record a quick intro for our next guest who is in this podcast, Tristan Baroni of Meyer Ranch Company Horses here in Montana. Uh, I think it's a pretty good podcast. He has a lot to share about, well, a lot of stuff, relationships with horses and how they kind of saved his life and what he does and yeah, we talk about a number of things in this podcast. Yeah, he's he's uh, Tristan. I I met him on this day that we knocked out this podcast at a little coffee shop here in Bozeman, and um, he's got a really really unique story. And he's a young guy, mm-hmm. but when you talk to him, you feel like he's he's had about twenty more years on him of life experience. So. Uh, yeah, I can't remember how many heads of horses he rides a year, but he does over 500 rides a year, I think you told me. I don't know how many horses that is, but he says he does 500 rides a year or more. So yeah. he's doing multiple every day. Um, so he's busy. And when I think of that, yeah, it just sounds like somebody who's had a lot more life to live. They've spent a lot of time cultivating that skill and he's... um. He's just really he's just really tuned in to it, and he's got a a nice sized ranch, not too far from here, a couple hours from here where we live, up in the middle of nowhere, um, where he does training. So he can help you if you have a horse who needs training. He breaks horses. He's also got heads of cattle, um, and sells those. So uh, he's got a big operation going on for such a young guy. <laughs> A lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, um, I got a message from him the other day, actually. He, uh, he invited me up. We're going to go do some hunting here in December. So spend a few days with him up there, take the drive, see his ranch. It's going to be fun. All right. So I wanted to read a review from a listener because once in a while we do get those on iTunes. And if you have some time in your schedule, folks, you can go leave us one if you like the podcast or if you don't like the podcast. Um, but hopefully you'll give us five stars. Um, this guy, Muley Hunter one said, accidentally stumbled onto your podcast while downloading the new Dave Brinker altitude signal single, which is funny because Dave Brinker is Ryan's favorite country artist. He gets played a lot in this house for sure. Yeah. I love that song. It's a good one. And he, um, Muley Hunter one says your show is rad though. Thank you. And James Sylvester is legit. Yes, he is. You want to tell people who James Sylvester is? Sure. So James, um, he's uh, he's got an Instagram. I think it goes by what underscore Sly Sylvester. Uh, he's uh, a really really good photographer, and he's done a few trips with me this year. He's come along and he's uh, he's back there in Washington, but he he made the truck out here. Oh man, we um we went down to Wyoming. 
came down on that trip to uh, see some really good country down there on a elk hunt. Took some really, really good photos that, um, and he's, he's, he's got a pile of them I haven't even seen yet. Uh, he came with me on my um, short but sweet Montana elk trip, and then he went with me on my latest mule deer trip with uh, Brian Call and took a bunch of photos. So he's just really good at what he does, um, and he's great to have on a trip like that. He's real positive. A uh, guy can pack weight. He doesn't struggle physically or anything like that. He's, you know, those camera guys, they got to pack a heck of a lot of gear, um, big lenses, different camera bodies and, and all that. They, they actually work harder than we do sometimes where they're, you know, we're taking breaks and they're constantly snapping pics and getting content, waking up in the middle of the night and getting night shots and just the cool stuff that, uh, that we don't, we don't get when we don't have the skills to do that. But yeah, anybody out there should follow the guy. He takes really good picks. He he gets a lot of, um, geez, wildlife. Like living there in Washington, he gets he travels around elk, bear, a lot of fox, a lot of eagles, a lot of cool stuff. And yeah, he's been coming along along on some trips. And um, yeah, he's practically family. He's married to my cousin over mm-hmm. there. So um, great guy. A long way, long time back, I actually did a video with him about his photography it's probably on our youtube channel you can probably watch that if you want um and then muley hunter finishes up with thanks for sharing looking forward to hearing more episodes so thank you muley hunter one um appreciate it so do you have anything else you want to share before we go into this podcast oh gosh um I guess uh, one thing to stay tuned for uh, is we, like I said, we just got back from a big trip uh, with Brian Call, and we did a lot of filming on this trip. We had uh, 11 or 12 days back there. There was four of us, and uh, man, it it started in one place, ended in another, and we had all kinds of really good experiences amongst that, a lot of animals. Uh, a lot of stuff covered and covered a lot of ground, had all kinds of really neat weather conditions. And um, I think it's going to be a really good series. It's going to be similar to, well, the bear series that we did this last spring, as well as the tar series. I think there's going to be four parts and that's going to be coming out in December. So um, excited to see how that all gets edited together and, and, um, I think it'll be really, really good just by where we were and, and how the whole trip worked out. Yeah. And while you were there, um, we launched the Western Hunting Summit. Very mm-hmm. appropriate timing for me. You're in the back country, far, far away. But we had a really good turnout on that um, for our first week launch. And yeah, I was pretty surprised at how receptive people were to that. Yeah, we uh, we were shocked at at uh, the response that it launched and um, got a lot of people. In fact, I think, uh, I mean, close to selling out already and we've got eight months um, till the actual event, but I think uh, Elk is sold out for the most part, VIP. Um, And there's a few more spots on the meal there part and uh, got a handful of guys that signed up for bear. So um, 
we're still gauging interest on that one but looks like we'll probably put the bear one out as well in may so uh, looks like all three will be filled well at least all three vips will be filled don't yeah. forget you don't have to come to the vip if you can't get away for four days i know that's a lot to expect of people um if you want to just come for the weekend and meet everybody and listen to the educational talks and be there for where this year we're going to do a Saturday night food event of some sort. We're trying to put together right now. Um, and yeah, so to all our speakers who are going to be there, you can still come. It's called the weekend warrior. So you can still buy the weekend warrior tickets and we got plenty of those left. The VIPs are the ones that have pretty much sold out. And that's just because, um, we only have so many spots for that. Yep. Yep. So, and, uh, we will be getting, uh, the actual speakers, um, presenters put out there here pretty quick so that guys can see who actually is going to be presenting. Yeah. We'll have the full website done at some point this month so you can see. All right. Um, if there's nothing else, we will get on to Tristan here. Um, he gives his information at the end of this, but you can always go to, Meyer Ranch Company Horses on Instagram and just see a lot of photos. He also has a YouTube channel where he does full videos and tutorials where he works with horses. So highly re recommend it. And yeah. All right. Everybody have a great week. See ya. Oh, perfect. I like that. I don't edit out anything Ryan says because everything he says is wise. Well, if you put your headphones on, you'd hear me. There you go. Yeah, wise. Wise and smart. Mm, for sure. You know, the scary thing is we could be his parents. Wow. Yeah. That is scary. Yeah, it is. He's very young. So, did she say you're 27? I am. 27. We yeah. could be. Yep. Yeah. Um, my mom had me at 18. Mm -hmm. so, my mom yeah. had me at 19. So I'm 46. Mine at 16. Six, ooh, you got us beat. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we started late, though. Really late. So. Yeah, most of my friends have kids in college right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or high school, finishing high school, starting college. Yeah, crazy to think about. Yeah. But I don't know what kind of a patient father i would have been at 18 19 <laughs> versus now just yeah boy that'd um, been difficult for me i would say one of your vir virtues is patience but i definitely don't think you would have been a self i just don't i don't you think would i have been that very selfish for like, sure oh yeah selfless stuff wasn't quite going on at that age like it was but all now i'm about not selfish at all it. so i uh um, no. i've well grown out of that you're a hundred percent not selfish <laughs> that takes a lot of time too especially when you're an 18 year old guy yeah. holy smokes you're barely got your brain going oh, or at least mine wasn't your brain no. isn't even fully developed till yeah. your mid-20s you know that's kind of the scary thing of people having babies when they're i don't know maybe back in like 50,000 years ago when you only lived to be 30 or 50, 40 or 50, something. years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Like 10. You lived to be. You were lucky if you made it to like five years old. Like, like 200 years ago. You know, having babies yeah. like that was the main like important thing. And then you just got old. You know, you just died at some point. And now it's like, I don't think we worried about the emotional state of people. I think we were concerned about like, can they provide food, water, shelter? And that was it. And now 
uh, life is fairly easy for those of us in the first world countries. Um, <clears throat> and now it's all about like how it's, emotionally it's very stable easy, but are I you? would argue that it's way more complicated at the same time. I think it's easier to get lost because back then um, men had way more responsibility earlier. That's why they were having families because right. they were, they had a job earlier. You know, they were more accountable earlier. Yeah. Now there's so many things that guys can get lost into. Come here. I'm just going to do a little bit of a. Okay, there. There. Yeah. Oh, that's better. Oh, yeah. Okay. Keep oh. saying what you're saying because that was very wise and I just interrupted you there. I'm so sorry. Well, she right. does that. <laughs> she does that a lot. Well, it's hard with three people, like, finding how to fit in, especially when you're trying to record it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've learned with Ryan, his voice, it, like, we have totally opposite ranges. And so I've learned over two years, she three years now. She used to just, now. like, constantly bombard me with, uh, what was your... <laughs> project your project. voice. Just sit up and project. He'd be like, I hear I that, like, a that. thousand times. And now she just turns it up. <laughs> I get that from Lenny when she was shooting my videos in the beginning for YouTube. Mm-hmm. Every time she'd be like, yell at it. Project. Yeah. <laughs> Speak up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to be in the moment. And when you're doing that, you're relaxed. You're yeah. not inflated. You're trying to be right there. So it's hard. It almost takes you out of it when you're having to focus on your speaking versus sure. what's right. going on. And yeah. that's why it's really important in the beginning to get the microphone just right. So then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to and we're like in a coffee shop. So there's podcast. a lot of background noise. And it's good to have it as close to your mouth as you can because... I don't know. I have to edit these things, so I, I'm very sensitive to that. Um, but anyways, so we are sitting at the Daily in Bozeman, Montana on a Friday afternoon with um, Tristan. Tristan Baroni. He lives here in Montana. He's a Montanan as well. And I met you. Well, you, you came to see me as a patient. Can I say that? Are you okay with that? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, If you weren't okay with that, I would edit that out, right? Like, yeah. So I I don't want to, like, disrupt any patient confidentiality. But uh, the first time I met you, you were just telling me about your history and what you do for a living. And we started talking about really interesting things. And at the end of that visit, I was like, would you like to be on my podcast? Because I think you have a really um, powerful story uh, in a lot of different aspects. And so I thought it would be fun to have you on. The other reason is, is we do have a lot of folks that are horse people. And you're going to talk about what you do. But you, I would consider you like a horse person, right? Like you, oh, no. Oh, you're like a horse whisperer. Horse are you a horse whisperer? Horse whisperer is a bad word. Is yeah. it? It alludes that it's magical when it's really just awareness. Oh, see, you're a, an aware horse person. person. <laughs> <laughs> no, the um, the reason it's kind of funny is Horse Whisper was marketed as a movie, you know, right. and then it's kind of been like a snake oil salesman thing. There's been many guys that hung their hat on that, uh, and yeah, and a lot of those guys would uh, they would put out an idea that they were doing something one way. And use concepts that they had heard from other people that they didn't quite understand. And then when everyone wasn't watching, they'd work the horse over, like rough him up and take a couple hours before the presentation to get him ready. Mm. And they would call themselves 
horse whispers, and they would allude that there was something that they had that was special that other people didn't have. When huh. really, it's just an awareness to the horse's expression and how he's moving around. Mm -hmm. That's what changes what one person can get done versus another person. It's not that one person is special. It's one person spent more time to be observant and see what's happening and be in the moment mm -hmm. when it's happening. And the feedback with horses is so much more critical because they're a prey animal, like an elk. It doesn't take very much to blow them out. An elk more so than horses. A horse, he smells you. He'll kind of snort and do things like that. A very green one that doesn't know anything, and he might run off. But an elk smells you, and he doesn't snort or do anything. He's out of there. Yeah. 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 Oh, and so it's still turned up with horses that way because they're a prey animal. They legitimately worry about dying, and that's where people get in trouble with them. Because a person will be working with a horse, and we're so good at seeing all the bad and everything. All they see is the bad, and they look at everything as a problem. And the horse, he's not trying to be bad. He's trying to be okay in the moment. But it's so subtle, the humans already missed 12 things that the horse needed help with and was telling you. But it's not necessarily the human's fault. They didn't understand the expression. They didn't understand the change. And then it's a cascade, and the horse starts to switch to the sympathetic nervous system. And then they use biting, striking, explosive dynamic force, and that's when problems happen. And like you know, being in the medical industry, lots of people get hurt on horses. Yeah, it's really common, especially because for years now I've worked in, you know, head trauma and that kind of stuff. And especially here in Montana or parts of the country where, you know, people are working on ranches and they have horses and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's really common. It's kind of one of the questions I ask folks when they come in with certain things. Have you ever had an injury by a horse or fallen off a horse, been kicked, any of that kind of stuff? It's, it's, in Montana, it's super common. Common. And um, I think that horse people like yourself, when they're around horses all the time, they kind of get you. horse people. No, I think it, well, <laughs> I don't want to use the word magical now because he just destroyed it for me. But <laughs> taken aback horse people. <laughs> no, I actually think horse people are pretty cool because I'm not, I don't have any attachment to an animal like that. Like you're like a deer people. Like I categorize people with deer. <laughs> have you ever heard about like you can categorize the way a person looks by the animal family they're in? So like Ryan's a bear family. You're definitely a bear family. Like I'm the bird family. So, Our so older daughter's koala so family. Bearded bearded is is uh, he looks way more like a bear than you he's more like a panda bear you're like a, <laughs> you're just like dirty like oh, you're, you're like smoky like the bear, bear. smoky the I bear who's like bear. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean i think it's uh i think it's no it's it's meant as a token of respect that somebody has a relationship with an animal like that so much that they can actually read an animal's behavior an animal doesn't talk to you they're not telling you like here's my problem here's what i have like you have to be so aware and that's what i think is cool about like people that have that relationship now and i just so i loved your perspective on it and that's you know that definitely was the approach for the west for so long was dominate and especially with working with horses People used to lay them down under tarps for days and not feed them and not water them to ride them and tie them to post to get on them and have multiple guys get on them to ride them. And then the rodeo started because a bunch of guys wanted to get together and see kind of who was the best. And then they started with the rough stock events because that's originally what you did on the ranch was how people would start a horse as you get on and you'd hang on. 
nobody was riding bulls, but that mm-hmm. got added into there. The steer wrestling and the roping was practical. But with that, and I did do that. I did the rough stock events. Um, but it is physical on the animals. Those animals do get, a, a lot of them do like to do it. Mm-hmm. There's bucking horses that, and bulls that you'll buck, and they'll come right back in the chute park, and they're ready to go again. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not tortured to go out. They have a, a light strap tied around their flank, which causes them to kick. Because if they're, they're just real flat, they're quite a bit easier to ride. So that's why they put those straps on the back is because they'll kick. So when the horse comes up and then they kick, there's a lot more action, right? Or like a bull, the bull comes up, you need to get over the front. When he kicks, you need to set your hips and sit down. So you beat that. Because if you don't, then your head goes forward. Yeah, but it, it definitely is. Um, I'm, I'll be honest about it. Livestock gets hurt. Um, horses will break their back and things like that there's there's bad to it but i do know that the animals most of them are treated very very well Mm -hmm. like a lot of the pro stock contractors those horses work 35 days a year the rest they're all hanging out with their buddies eating grass they're they all get really good food and and taken care of because that's how those guys make their living but it's like with anything like we're talking about the horsemanship there's a lot of people anything not even just horsemanship life there's all of us our perspective changes as we learn and we age and we get more things and we're open to them but people will think they're doing the right thing and they're treating the horse like a human and the the horse isn't that way and that's where it causes all the issues because they're they're so different they don't have an ego you know they don't they don't care about that stuff you can be a complete jerk and they'll show up ready to work the next day. They're not, they're not like us at all. And I told you this when I came in the office. I didn't know it, but I've since figured it out. Um, in my childhood, there was a lot of trauma and abuse and things like that. And um, my parents were into drugs, and it was very, very, very unpredictable. Um, for the longest time, until I was like 18, or actually probably 15 I started to get some predictability and things like that but I was always drawn to horses and uh, since I found out was their consistency every day the only things I know that species related are this consistent as a horse and a dog every day if you do your part they will show up to please you ready to work it doesn't mean that you won't have to adjust to fit the situation but that's the human that has to change Every day they'll show up ready. And I'm confident in saying that with horses because I've ridden several thousand of them. I've been riding about 500 horses a year for the past five years um, to try and get as good as I could and learn from all these different animals of varying levels, you know, because some are like us. Some are more laid back. Some are more quiet. Some are erratic and tight. Like uh, I just put a video up of this yellow horse that a friend brought me that had uh, been abused and some people had tried to ride him and uh, things didn't go that good. And he was really, really, really scared. And you touch this horse and every muscle in his body is tight. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't drive a nail into him. He's so tight. And with a horse like that, I enjoy working for it because I do it, do it so much, but there's less room for error. So if I make a mistake or if I show up and I'm not present, he's going to yell at me immediately and it, I'm not going to be able to make the same mistakes 
that I might make with a more laid back horse that anybody could ride. Mm-hmm. And not saying those horses aren't good. Lots of people need those horses. Lots of people have too much horse and they end up getting into the issues that we were talking about where they're too physical. What do we do as humans when we get afraid? Defensive or aggressive? And a lot of people get aggressive and that doesn't work with a horse. So that's kind of where the big issues come in. Hmm. Wow. Oh, so that's super interesting. Um, so elaborate a little bit on on your finding this relationship with horses in your childhood. Um, I was always drawn to them, but with poverty, I never got to be around them. I got to be around them a couple of times, but with no consistency and, and no teachers. It wasn't really a family thing. Like my dad is deathly afraid of horses. Um, he had an injury. He kind of had a rough father. Uh, his dad made him get on a horse when he was, I don't know the age, but like 12 or 13. And he broke both of his arms. <gasps> and his dad made him get back on the horse and then take himself to the hospital and all that. So ever since, he has been deathly afraid Traumatized of horses. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, and rightfully so. But I moved to Montana the day after high school. And I knew I wanted to pursue horses. And that's, that's what I did. I started packing and um, being around horses a lot. I didn't know that I had a passion to learn from them yet. I just knew I wanted to be around them. And I started riding and packing. And I could I could always ride one, but they weren't necessarily getting better. And I started t- to wonder all that time by myself. I started to wonder why I couldn't get them to want to be with me. Like, why why couldn't I do that? And the people I was around weren't doing that. So I was just wondering, how could I get this to be better so I don't have to work as hard so they could help me? And I went on thinking about that for a couple of years and nothing came of it. And then I started working on ranches, doing cowboy jobs where you got to use a, a horse to sort cattle, rope calves. You ride them 14 hours a day. You ride multiple horses. you got to open gates, go here, go there, do all your chores on them. And I had some that were getting worse. I I could do it. And I was riding stuff that other guys had kind of messed up, but that's no excuse. But I couldn't get them to want to be with me. And that was when things started to turn. I uh, read some things from Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt where they were talking about doing less, taking your ego out of the situation, and observing, remembering, and comparing. And I started, I really kind of made a pledge to myself that I was going to really get rid of the physicalness because I was very, very physical. Like, that's why I could always get a job and did rodeo because I could ride one. Um, It doesn't mean I could do anything good with them, but I could hang in there. And once I did that, they started to talk. And not obviously not in words, but I started to see what they were saying because I wasn't getting in the way. The Like we were talking earlier, the horse is so sensitive, some of them it doesn't take very much for them to detach mentally and shut down. And they'll do things in spite of you, but they'll no longer be searching for a solution to help you. So as soon as I took the physical out, I was able to see what they needed help with and go with them, and then in turn, they would go with me. But for so long, I was doing too much all the time that at the start of the day, I would tell the horse his ideas were no good. Because he's alive, he gets hot, he gets cold, he has ideas, he has good days, he has bad days. You know, he wants to be with his buddies, he wants to eat, all these things. And if if I get on and first thing is I say is, no, you come over here, or no, you go over here because I'm a man and you're going to do 
what I want you to do, because that's what we're doing today. I'm the worst leader ever. If that was a employee, a person, it'd be a week, maybe less, and he'd quit. He wouldn't want to work for me, or if he stayed, he would hate me and be a really poor employee. So I started to figure some of that stuff out. And then it just cascaded, and ever since then, it gets better every day because I become aware of more things every day that I didn't see or I develop more understanding over it. And the horses get to where they'll show me more and more and more. And their sensitivity is just what helps because we're so inundated by stimulus, you know, phones, substances, relationships, not all of them are good, even the good ones sometimes. All those things come in and and cloud judgment, like poverty. When you're in that poverty mind state, um, it's very hard to think broadly, to, to see many things. Not because you can't, but because that energy is consumed in your brain. So if you go in and try and work with a horse, and you have all these pieces of your brain that are elsewhere, you're not going to have the hard drive to be in the moment and aware of an animal that's more sensitive than you are. You'll be late every single time. And like to do anything well with horses, you need to do less sooner, not more later. Yeah, I, I feel that I maybe being a physician, not you know working with horses, but working with people, it's like the distraction is so easy. It it's really takes a lot of effort to really focus and be present with somebody. Um, and I imagine with a horse who can't talk to you and tell you what's going on, you know, you you have to be able to really tune in. I think a lot of us tune out. And so we don't tune into those cues. Um, and I notice with myself how much effort it takes me to sit down. And I've got a million things. I mean, you've seen my office and my desk and my papers and my labs and messages coming in while I'm trying to sit there and talk with you. It takes a lot of effort to tune in and be present. Yeah. And seeing patients and seeing, it's, it's really hard for people to do that anymore. I don't know. I feel like when we were younger and we didn't have the distraction of the phones. I think the like phone is probably number one. Our relationship was even different. Like we would, yeah. we would get together at night and we would like talk to each other, or we would sit down on a Friday night. We would like watch a movie, and we would like watch the movie. Yeah. There was no phones. There was nothing. And I find myself sometimes missing that. Like, sure. Because it's we we were just much more present. You know, we didn't have young children either. But well, and that's the thing I notice is with the kids. You know, you really got to be focused and diligent about not like being consumed with the phone or on the computer or your work after work. And it's because it is it is practically impossible. I'm not saying I can do it because it's I don't know that anybody can can perfect that these days. But um, you know, yeah, it's really easy to just kind of you know, let your kids do the thing. And then you don't start picking up on those cues until maybe it's too late later in life. But man, right now it is, it's these days we're just bombarded with messages coming in all times of day, social media. Um, It's really easy to get sucked in and you just, you can, you can just kind of let time go by and not pick up on what your children are trying to learn or what they need to learn for sure. And I feel that it's like a brain function. You know, I imagine mm-hmm. being out there with a horse and the amount of, co- the amount of focus and presence you have to have to be picking up on these things. Like 
that part of your brain, you, you really have to work on that. That that would be, and you can talk about this because I know you work with people and their horses and helping mm -hmm. them tune into their horses. But I find that, that that's, that's a hard thing these days. Yeah, well, and it's not different. Me tuning in with a horse, like uh, you said a couple times, they can't talk. Well, they can't talk verbally, but they talk through movement and expression, their ears, their eyes. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the magic part. It's not magic. It's animal behavior. They all have different behavior. Like, you know what game animals look like before they're going to leave. Mm -hmm. They don't just leave. They prepare to leave. And then they do it. Yep. And it's, it's the yeah, same when you, thing. You can pick up on those. That's why I was wondering um, what were some of those cues that you pick up on when you're so close to a horse. Um, they're, they're different. One of, the, one of the biggest ones is breathing. A horse, when he starts to get concerned, will hold his breath, and he'll start to flex his abdomen, and he'll brace all of his muscles and prepare, because then he can go in any direction. You know, he might have to get away, he might have to fight, and it'll depend on the horse. What he's going to do, is he going to flee, or is he a horse that's more towards the fight side? Mm -hmm. And it varies with breeding and things like that. But... um a lot of times they're going to look where they're going to go. It doesn't mean they're going to move their head, but their mind follows their eye. Like, for instance, so many times, I'm sure you guys have seen a picture of this, someone will bend a horse. When they're worried about the horse bucking or something, they'll bend his head around. But if you look at the horse's eye, it's look, so the horse is bent to the left, his eye will be looking to the right, not to the left. He's not thinking about turning loose. He's not thinking about going left. He's bracing and preparing to leave. Or so much so as I'm going to approach a horse that I might be worried would kick me. Say his uh, head is to the left and his butt's to the right and I'm walking to him broadside. If his left hind foot is cocked, he's prepared to move his hindquarters away from me. If his right hind foot is cocked, he's prepared to move them towards me. And I might need to be aware of that because he might be preparing to right. move me if I make a mistake. <laughs> so little, little things like that. <laughs> but with awareness, I, like, I totally agree with what you guys said. I struggle with it. That's why I chose to live where I lived. I knew it would be difficult. There's not very many people. There will be weeks where I see no one. And I'm not saying that that's a problem. I like that. It, but it does come with struggles because we are like a tribal people. We need our tribe, our group. It gives us energy. We have innate feedback systems that make us feel good being around people. But for me, the horse gave so much to me, I wanted to get to where I could give back. So I could go to this place in Helmville that's quiet. It's in the mountains, in the woods where I love to be, and I could slow down. I don't have to work as hard at it as you guys do because I'm not in town. I can't just go to the grocery store. I can't just go do this. I can't just go downtown or here. You know, I've got to plan those things out. And I've got to pick time because I'm an hour away from the grocery store. And I knew I needed that because I saw when I went to college here in Bozeman, all the stimulus and I was a part of it. I mean, and you look at kids, if you put a child who's never seen a TV in front of a TV, what do they do? They're glued to it. It's like... <laughs> the coolest thing they've ever seen. Don't look at our daughter right now. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get a podcast She's glued done. to this phone. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's not saying that it, it can't be done incrementally, and we'd be foolish not 
to have our kids use technology mm-hmm. for sure because they're going to need it it's where it's going but it's a balance oh man it definitely is yes well we we bought so so we didn't buy in bozeman you know we bought in three forks and we we have a five acre spot and we're in like a neighborhood you know everyone has five acres but it just feels totally different out there. Like you get home, it's quiet. You well, have you five don't. Acres. You don't have the buzz, the energy yeah. of the city. You don't have lights. You don't have no, night lights no at lights all. At it's at night and very peaceful, very quiet. It's crickets and birds, and that's about it. And, and that's what we love like, about it. It's kind of like for us, if we want to go to the store, like in Bozeman, you know, Bozeman's forty minutes away. So mm-hmm. we are like. While I'm in work, you know, working during the week, we make sure that we have stuff done. And but it it has that same feeling. Obviously, not where you live because you're you're much more remote and you have a larger place. But for us, it was well, like we've we had conversations. Really, we've about, always really needed that. Yeah, we've had conversations since we've been here um, from where we were. You know, it's not like we were in the city. We weren't in Seattle or anything back in Washington mm-hmm. State. We were out in a little town of Granite Falls. I mean, it's you know. A small, very small town, um, big horse pasture behind us, but still you had roads. You had, there was never a time where you wouldn't hear like semis going by from the distant mm-hmm. highway or, you know, kids racing by your, your front driveway all day long. Um, there's always like the sound of vehicles and things, trains, but over here you don't hear any of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's such a different feeling, and it's just so much easier to relax. It is. Forget about everything like that. And I think it's. Um, I think there's some science behind it too, but I think all the buildings, all the stimulus, all the lights, like being in New York City, uh, the city. If you've ever been, have you been there? Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I have. Yes. Unfortunately, I will say unfortunately, just because it was a very short time, and I I couldn't stand it. It, it wore me down. I wasn't doing a whole lot. I was just, like, in the city. Um, we took a walk. I mean, we even went to, uh, what is that, Central Park or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just the buzz and everything going on, it wiped me out like I had just done a marathon. It kicks you to fight or flight. It yeah. kicks you to the sympathetic nervous system because we're not supposed to be around that all the time. Yeah. Things towering over you in the real world, it was dangerous. All these things cars and stuff going by that we get conditioned and not pay attention to sure that all kicks us towards the sympathetic and when you're towards the sympathetic nervous system say you get punched in the nose most people are they going to be able to answer a math equation no are they going to be very rational thinking no are they going to get more emotional most likely and if you're always in that i just found a pull on it for me and I could notice it so much because of the way I try and be around horses. They would tell me. I would think I was in the moment in here, and he'd be like, mm, you're really not. You're kind of doing a poor job. Huh. That's interesting. And how are you able to tell? Like, how, are, how, is, that, how is that silent language? Um, so it, when horses are grumpy, they'll swish their tail. You know, they'll kind of, like, if you're... And they, and they don't do that when they're cool calm and collected and no th- i mean they might hit some flies okay. but a horse like ringing his tail mm-hmm. he's frustrated he's starting to get concerned he's gotcha. putting up with it like um for instance if you're using too much of a leg aid like too much leg pressure too much spur the horse will look at that foot versus look away from it like say a lot of times 
when you're riding a horse, you can ride them with your hands or your legs or both, right? And say I want my horse to move his hindquarters to the left, I'll tighten my right calf, and he'll round out and move those hindquarters to the left. I got you. I want to move the front quarters to the right, I'll tighten my left calf towards the front, and he'll move the front quarters to the right. Hmm. But if I do too much, he'll look at that leg versus go away from it because it'll be too much stimulus that instead of understanding, it will elicit concern. I got you. So it's, wow. a, it's a finite thing to how they respond, but it's like, it's like anything. Like you guys, you, things don't go well. You take ownership of it. You don't make excuses for it. Or, I mean, sometimes we do, but then we figure it out and we say, oh, no, not really. We could do better. Mm-hmm. And that's what the horse has allowed me to do. And it's like, I think Hillary and I felt so many things in common because I think if anybody pursues something to an art form or really tries to and be honest with yourself, the way, the path is very, very similar, similar, even though you're doing different things. You still have to do the same things to get there and notice a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that with other people that, they're focused on something. They, they have a goal. They want to make the world a little bit better place than they found it. And they'd like to be a little better tomorrow than they were today. You know, and there's just a commonality that you find with people that way. And those are the people that I've enjoyed the most and have brought the most to my life. And I like to be around. And I kind of learned all that good stuff from horses. Because mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot of the bad stuff from people when I was younger. Hmm. No kidding. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't privy to the conversations that you guys have had. But um, no, I can't believe you're 27 years old. I am. <laughs> My wife said that actually when I was coming down. She's like, "Wait till you get to meet Tristan. Uh, you're not going to believe he's 27. Yeah. Going to think he's got way more worldly life experience than at 27." Yeah. I- I think I told her today I feel like my heart's about 73. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also, I think the side thing, too, about horses is they are a little bit rough on your body. This is true. And so you, you probably feel like that some days, too, right? I like, do. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, that's something I'm comfortable with talking about. That's yeah. why I came to you. Right. Um, I had a bunch of concussions when I was a kid from child abuse, which were smaller, not super big but I was unconscious multiple times and then later um, I had a really really bad horse wreck about six years ago and I was on a colt that I just started I was working for a guy that I was packing for in Slough Creek out of Cook City Mm -hmm. and we were in Ballantyne Montana and I was starting I can't remember how many horses but it was a little over a trailer load and he was the last horse I was riding for the day big chocolate colored really cool horse it was the first ride i had on him and i just got done riding him around the pasture and everything was all great he was a little tight but it went good and he was relaxed and i got a little careless and i went to open this powder river gate that was next to a steel pipe about two inch steel pipe that it was chained to and so i had my horse up against it his left side was against the gate and I bent down, and because it was a Powder River gate, it was pretty low. So it was down by my knee, and I had my old head down there and was getting that gate. And I don't remember any of this. The guy who saw it told me, but the horse spooked. My foot got hung in the stirrup, and at the apex of him spinning out of there, the back of my head, where I don't have this hair, oh, you guys wow. that are listening can't see it, mm-hmm. but I've got a pretty big bald spot on the back of my head that turned white 
about six months after it happened, and then the hair fell out. And I hit my head on the back of that pipe, and then he drugged me about 150, 200 yards. Jeez. And I woke up about 15 minutes later. I couldn't believe the guy that I was working for didn't call the ambulance. But <laughs> he's just waiting for you to wake up? That's the cowboy culture. Holy smokes. I was going to say he's Gosh. a cowboy. I've worked with a lot of those guys in eastern Montana. Bad horse accidents, and they never mm. went to the doctor. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't. It was four-hour drive to Billings. Like, you better be dead or close to death for us to do that. Yeah, mm. and I didn't get anything done. And it turned out that I had a slight brain bleed where it was that I later found in an MRI. Wow. And um, lots of stuff. And then I slowly started to experience the repercussions of a concussion of that level. I knew nothing about it. I was in school, so I had some understanding of chemistry and how hormones worked. And then I, I, that's when I started to get interested in getting some blood work done because I've always been a person, after I moved here, I've always been a person to get up and go and exercise and go hunt and go do all these things and ride and work. And it was hard. I was getting kind of sad, and it was hard to do things that I normally love to do. Just the motivation. And it was getting harder. I wasn't recovering from workouts and stuff, and I just feeling not like myself. Not I would say not like a man, <laughs> really. Where I felt like I was feeling like a man before, I wasn't. And then I, I went and got my blood work done, and my testosterone and all that stuff was at like 100 Oh, wow. Which is pretty low. and wow. my preg- <laughs> Which is like nothing. Yeah, my That's what women have. Yeah, my pregnenolone was all off and all the stuff indicative of concussions. But in my journey, I had a hard time because, like, I went to an endocrinologist here at the Bozeman Hospital. And he was just like, oh, that's fine. That's normal. And they thought, because I was a little bit buffer then. And he'd ran the blood work? Or? He ran the blood work. They thought steroids. I told him that I'd hit my head, but... I don't know. He was so busy. He didn't look into it. They saw I was about 220 pounds then. I was quite a bit bigger than I am now. And so they thought I was using hormones or something like that. And that's even what he told me in the office. He said, this is what causes this. And I was like, well, I haven't done that. I've (laughs) competed in sports and these things. Yeah. And so then I started to look. I started to read about concussions and things like that. Understand from the blood work that it affected my endocrine system and started to look at how not all the lab's normal ranges are comparable. Some of the normal ranges are not necessarily accurate for what you might need. Mm -hmm. And I started to pursue a doctor and I found one and it kind of went all right and things got kind of worse. And then I heard a podcast, I think uh, one of Aaron Snyder's podcasts Mm. about you where they were talking about. It was Gritty and Snyder talking about testosterone. Yeah, and you were someone who worked with people that wanted to be healthy, wanted to be fit, wanted to be proactive. Mm-hmm. And I heard that you were moving to Bozeman, which was way closer to me because I was flying all the way to Vegas before for treatment. Oh, wow. And um, because I'm such a young guy, everybody considered it like a high risk because the hormone replacement thing hasn't been around that long, and especially not for guys my age to mm-hmm. come in with something like that. So that's what made me pursue you. And then I also saw that you did the NCR, mm-hmm. which is a great treatment for concussions and my whole thing about this is you see the football players who get minor concussions most of them don't even go out and they have issues when they're 45 and 50 
where they detach from their families and right. some people will go postal and not to speak rudely of anybody. This is a serious thing. No, I mean, this is, I've always told Ryan, like when you see these tragedies happen, especially with NFL players or whoever, I mean, I just know by my profession, these guys have had multiple head traumas over their life. I mean, Purdue did a study on college, on high school students. Um, it was in Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated featured it. That They did a study on high school linemen. Um, mm-hmm. And they found that they were testing their their recall scores were really really bad, and then they started realizing that guys on the front line, even in high school, have had so many repeated frontal lobe shots that they start lose they start developing cognitive decline in high school. But because they've never been cl- knocked out, they've never been diagnosed with a concussion, concussion. and so they continually be put on the line. And, and is that what long term? eventually causes CTE. Yes. And so they worry about the cellular or that histological level of damage that's being done slowly over time. And that's why a lot of the guys that do get CTE, they were, they were big guys. They were the linemen. They took a lot of the repeated, repeated, repeated hits. Yeah, not necessarily like really hard. They didn't get hit like the quarterback or the receiver who got knocked out. Boom. Mm -hmm. Right. They got the, like every game they were getting repetitive hits and just they know and how how many football players that are pros when did they start playing football most of those guys were playing in the peewee leagues they were mm-hmm. they were starting really young and so um i know that a lot of those incidences that happen those guys have brain damage and we know that they've done autopsies on a lot of these players who have had these you know, tragic deaths or whatever, and they have Alzheimer's-like plaques in their frontal lobe, which is, why would that be happening in a young 20-something-year-old man? And, and that's just, that's what they've kind of come to is those proteins basically just get clogged up in there from repeated trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's way more common. And those guys that do that stuff, they're just brain damaged. They don't have emotional control. And, and yet when, with what happened to Tristan, it's like, that was one major accident. Yeah. And that had obviously a profound effect on his yeah. hormones. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say because everybody's a little bit different biochemistry-wise, right? Like some guys would have that head trauma. They're not going to present with hormonal imbalance, but it's pretty common to see it. So it doesn't matter what their age is. You should always check. Um, I just had a 22-year-old guy come in. And he wasn't an athlete. He, like, works in a nursing home. He's been having all the problems you're talking about. And I come to find he's got, like, a 200 testosterone. And he has maybe a prolactinoma, which is a tumor on his pituitary. So we have to do an MRI. But he's been walking around probably for years at 22 thinking that this is how guys feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, man. And this is not safe for a 20-something-year-old man to be 100 testosterone. You're going to have bone problems, you're going to have muscle problems, you're going to have brain problems, you're going to have cardiovascular dysfunction, much less the sexual problems. I mean, that's important, but not like the other things. And so you have to pick, you have to at least test and at least figure that out because you're doing a guy a disservice, even if he's 210 and he looks healthy. If his testosterone is 100 for the next 10 years, he's well, going to have bone problems, it, cardiovascular problems. You're setting him up for a world of problems. It would kind depression. of be hard. Yeah, I was going to say like depression. depression. Because like, like Tristan, like you said, you don't feel like a man. I mean, yeah, that many years of not feeling right and just not feeling motivated, you got to imagine depression would be a... And depression well, in any man, you always need to troubleshoot because depression is is more common in females 
mainly related to our hormonal systems. It's more frequent because of our estrogen, et cetera. You guys are all kinds of wacky with your hormones. <laughs> Very complex individuals. Complex, yes. And But a man who comes in um, who just suddenly says, I've never been depressed. I'm not a depressed person, and I think I'm depressed. And I don't have any reason to be depressed. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I've got a great life. I hear this a lot. I've got a great life. I've got a good job like and I just am like unhappy and the the conventional doc is going to say well let's give you some antidepressants it can help a little bit because it changes your biochemistry a little bit but it it can also make people really apathetic so it doesn't necessarily make you any happier it just kind of makes you apathetic and then on top of it it can cause sexual dysfunction and stuff too so then some guy's super confused because now he's like he was having a problem before now he's got sexual dysfunction on top of it so I always just check that, and sometimes I'm shocked. Like, young guys. Like, whoa, this isn't right. Let's troubleshoot this. I think a lot of it, too, is that there's um, so much information out there now about hormones and conditions. Um, I mean, I listen to, like, JAMA, and I listen to the podcasts that talk about, like, all these things. And endocrinologists in general don't want to deal with any of this in young people. They Mm -hmm. just... Even the, the subject of testosterone in premenopausal women is like, don't do that. Don't give it to them. It makes them uncomfortable. I it's, saw it firsthand. It's just too, it's like too complicated. And I even say like, I don't necessarily like to see a 22-year-old guy come in and have low testosterone because you know what your options are? <laughs> you know, once you get put on hormone replacement like testosterone, now you have fertility issues and you got it. You're dealing with a young guy. So in your case, luckily, we I were able, out. you were, you, you responded really well to a medication that doesn't alter fertility, which testosterone does alter fertility in men. And so, um, but there's also so many cool new things coming out to help that as well. So that guys can get the hormones they need and they can somewhat keep their fertility. But you have to have a doctor who is even reading that and listening to that and diving into that. And I still get cases where I'm like, uh, you know, yikes, I don't know what to do here. And I have people that know more than me. I call them up. I'm like, okay, this is what I have. What do, where do I start? And that's really what you need. And um, I've found some great endocrinologists that I can call and they can help me. And I found some endocrinologists who are just like, they just don't even want to talk. They don't want to bother about that. Unless you find a pituitary tumor or something like I might have. That's pretty, that can be pretty common. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's a practice. But there's, there's no one way with every person. Yeah. It's, there's different things. And it takes time to figure them out sometimes. Like it's a, it really is a journey. Yeah. And that's what I, I like about this and the opportunity to talk about it. Because heck, if it catches one person who is feeling this way, but maybe was uncomfortable to bring it up or mm-hmm. felt like it was inappropriate to bring up, and they do... That might be a really helpful person to all of us, mm-hmm. you know. Well, let me tell you about men, working with men. You guys are men, so you probably would agree with me on this. Men don't usually divulge things. Uh, first of all, they will divulge it if it's really bad. So it's affecting their life, like you said, like even depression. A lot of men will not divulge that they are depressed because it's somehow looked down on, like, or they're less of a man or whatever. Same thing with sexual dysfunction, dude. Most guys are not going to give that up to you unless you ask them a direct question. And some guys, you ask the direct question and they're kind of like, uh, 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 <laughs> how do I answer, answer that? Yeah. And I'm just like, just tell me the truth because that helps our treatment plan and that helps me know 
all the arenas that like testosterone plays into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so men, there's a, I think men have a harder time sharing, especially physical problems and feelings like how they feel about it. Um, old ego we've got a little bit more of it naturally it (laughs) takes a little time to figure out yeah and so talking to like a a woman about this you know um but i find that once they can like tell everything and we can work through this and they the the thing i love about working with men is they just want to know and they they'll work on it they'll like do it women are a little harder women sometimes there's like a lot of emotional stuff involved with it and if they're going to do it, it, you know, they have to like you and they have to feel comfortable with you. And there's uh, men are kind of like, all right, we can do something about it. All right, let's do it. And We're so, hammerheads. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> feel like in a lot of ways it's 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 harder in the forefront to work with a man, but it's easier on the back end because they're they're willing to take on that challenge, especially when it comes to like, I'm like, well, you could feel better and sleep better and I don't know, not be depressed and have sex. And they're like, sign me up. Let's do it. You know? But head trauma should always, all these things should be ruled out when somebody's had a head trauma, especially like yours. You have a freaking scar on the back of your head. I've got two of them. That's what I find so weird about um, and kind of upsetting when, you know, we hear stories all the time when someone goes to see a doctor and they're just like, ah, you're good. And yet the person went there specifically for something like you and they tell you you're okay. Like not something to worry about. But it's like that with every profession horse trainers there's lots of people that have got other people hurt and killed selling horses that they knew they shouldn't have sold (laughs) not everybody is i mean i saw this firsthand as a child and i've seen it all my friends are married with kids and they all uh, most all of them they're really good parents and they're raising these kids great but we have the conversation of how do you prepare them for the evil in the world you don't want to put them through it but they have to struggle some because especially today, everybody's trying to make struggle seem like a bad thing. And there are, there are few that are good leaders and have been through things and they realize struggle is a part of life and it's good and it makes you a better person and you persevere through it. But not everybody's into that, you know? Yeah, it's, that's funny. Brian Call and I were just having a conversation about this the other day on the phone um, talking about, you know, we, we kind of related it to struggles on the mountain. Like, uh, you know, we feel better. We were talking about immunity and all these different things um, on, you know, when you really put your body to the test versus just kind of bow out when it gets difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those of us that do, whether it's like a packing an elk out or just miles upon miles in difficult situations, you really put yourself to the test. eventually you come out on the other side and you're better for it. Your body responds better. Whereas too cush, too much relaxed, you know, a lifestyle of ease, it really doesn't do you any good. It feels like you stole it. Yeah. It's not real. It's, it's, it's not going to help you out when you do hit a wall and you have some difficulty. I think that's, especially for men, I think that's super, super important. Like one of my favorite things, which you'll totally understand, like if I'm going to go into business with somebody or something like that where it's going to be pretty intimate, go elk hunting or go do something. Like you shoot an elk and you carry it out with a guy, you're going to know who he is if you're going a little ways. Oh, for sure. Because I don't care how great a shape you're in, how much you've done it. If you're here in the mountains 
carrying an elk out, there's going to be some suffering involved. And there's going to be times when you want to stop, but you can keep going and you've got a choice. And you can really see a lot about a person because you can say it all day, but uh, doing it's another thing. And mm-hmm. that's what I love with horses. Like I've met people who said this is no good and that is no good. But the thing is, is you can talk all day, but at the end of the day, if you can't do it on your horse, you can't fake that. You can't be like, oh, horse, I told these people I was going to do this. You better bring the heat today. He's going to be like, you didn't do the work yesterday or the day before. You slept in the day before that. Yeah. It, it's not there. It's the same thing when you're hunting. Absolutely. If you take days off and you eat a bunch of junk and you don't do this and you don't prepare or you don't study the animals over time, you've got more successful as you've done it from experience, from mm-hmm. screwing stuff up. Yeah. You know, it's very relatable and, and – you know, with experience, like like you say, you, you can read the body language of a horse. I think for a lot of elk and mule deer guys, especially spot and stock guys, you you get to know just over time after time after time. You can read what that big old buck's going to do. You can tell when he's going to stand up. You can tell a couple seconds before he's going to stand up. And you get to know when he's going to bolt and all those different things. And that's just with – I can't even really just explain it to someone like – I can't really tell them. I just, I get this feeling like, okay, I know what he's going to do right now and where they're going to be. And it's just intuition over time, mm-hmm. but it's hard to explain. It's experience. Yeah. It's those experiences and things, hardships that you went through that you learn these little micro pieces all the way along, you know, like if one's going to bed for the second time and actually stay there, or if he looks like he might move again, you know, all those things. And that happens. Maybe one time you, went in a little too soon and you blew it because he'd got up and moved and you're right there you know all those little things and i think sometimes with me i've had to work so much at articulating it because that's where i saw my niche in the horsemanship community a lot of the guys are just watch and learn from me and a lot of the guys can say a lot of the things it's knowledge but it's not understanding Mm -hmm. and to me understanding is when you can take the most complex of subjects and explain it to a child and have them be able to do it sure not just repeat it back to you yeah that no that makes complete sense and i struggle with explaining certain things that it's hard i'm okay at but um that's some of the more difficult you know intuition is there but the explanation as to why can be very difficult and when you get further down that explanation in all of that you gain more understanding or at least i do Oh, for sure. Because when I have to teach it to somebody, I think I have the whole circle complete, but then there's confusion in them. And I see that I missed the opportunity to explain all the way around. I didn't do as good of a job as I could. Yeah. And it was a big issue for me to get my ego out of the way and realize that, oh, why doesn't this dumb person know what I just said? Oh, because I'm the dumb guy. I should have done a better job explaining it. Yep. And that's what the horses and the people helped me. And that's where my niche was, was being able to articulate ideas and get people to do them versus just repeat them back to me. Because so many things in the horsemanship, people go to clinics all their life and they still can't turn their horse around. Or the thing won't meet them at the gate. They still have to chase it around all day to catch it. My thing is like, um, I've always been, I want to work hard, but you got to work smart too. If you work all day and get done, you know, only X amount and I work two hours and get that done, that's not a good thing. You know, so I, I want to have results to show for it. And it's it's the same thing with hunting, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And it's the same with what you do. Yeah. 
I just wish Ryan had to do lots of paperwork with each deer he <laughs> killed, and besides just my intuition goes only so far and then it ends like with record everything so legally <laughs> like everything that person that deer just did has to be recorded so that in case that deer wants to come back and get you that you have records i mean that's, that's the a thing. little that's the hard thought that's a little spite i don't think you'd love him as much if he was able to do that <laughs> i really don't sure. i i think that's uh. why you love him is because that ain't him uh. oh <laughs> that's right you listen you listen to Tristan. <laughs> oh, well, I, you know how many times I've been told, you're trying to stick a square, square peg in a round hole. And I'm yeah. like, no, Every time a computer I'm gets trying to get you to do what everybody in their life has to do, uncomfortable <laughs> things. Like to him, deer hunting, he talks about this like, let's get uncomfortable. That is not <laughs> uncomfortable for him. He loves that. That is but the if, best kind of uncomfortable. Um, yeah, but if I have a thing he needs to do, but he doesn't want to do it, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And we have a challenge because he's like, well, I'm really good when I'm good at. And I'm like, I'm really good when I'm good at too. But if I didn't do all this other stuff, our life wouldn't continue as it does. So, well, it's hard. I I have gotten out of my comfort zone quite a bit, but I do draw the line at certain things. Um, yeah, computers being one of them. I just can't. I just can't do. It. I just can't. It's like I would rather do something else versus sit down and try to work through all the problems of a computer. My wife's great at it. She can whiz right through that stuff. I see a blank page when it when I have an issue. I have to call her because I just it just so I have to I get have up this and funny go. Story. So Ryan always says, "I don't know what they don't like me. The computers don't like me. It's kind of like the horse don't like me. The horse never gonna like me. Every time I go in there, it's gonna screw up. It's gonna like buck me off. You know, it's kind of the same thing with computers. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. I take him to the bank. He's got to be added onto the bank account, right? To the business bank account." I said, well, let me preface this first by explaining what I had said. I have this feeling like I have like, I don't know, or whatever you want to call it, aura. this energy. Did you just say aura? Yeah, I don't even want to. Let's, let's forget I said that. I'll use energy, which is foo-foo enough. Um, I have this energy that like it, like things just stop working. Computers stop working. I've had more issues with things yeah. freezing up around me than anybody I know. And okay. I would second that. So I call him and I say, you got to go in and sign the thing to be on the bank account. And he's like, okay. So in the meantime, I have Tana over here, four-year-old. She's vomiting in the car. But we have to get him because he's going to New Zealand and he will not have a credit card if he does not get his name on this account. He's like leaving in like two days or something. So I said, you got to actually come in and sign it. They're not going to let me just add you. Okay, now I got this sick kid. So we have to meet at the bank because he's not on the bank account. I have to be sitting there to watch him sign the thing. We show up and they're like, this will take like five minutes. And I'm like, okay. Meantime, I'm dealing with her running back and forth to the bathroom. Come back. They're still, they still can't get, they cannot get the computer to work. The, 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 <coughs> like the guy's computer is like freezing up and won't work. And Ryan's just sitting there like he's sitting right now. He's just sitting there. All right. Okay. I'm like, yeah, this is typical. And then I come back and I like, I was like, dude, can I sign my things I need to sign? Cause my kid's sick. I need to leave. And so we do what I need to do and I leave. An hour later, he calls me. He's like, that took an hour. And I was like, why? And he says, well, first of all, their computers wouldn't start, wouldn't crash. And then the printer wouldn't start. So they couldn't print the thing out. Yeah. Took an hour for them to figure it out. We were on our third computer, which they've never had. <laughs> 
to go away from one computer. And then the printer, they had a printer issue. So, so then he's like, okay, I'm telling you, like, I can't be around computers. So I say whatever. So two days later, we go to the airport. They're trying to print out something. His, My ticket. Like, his ticket and his customs pass or whatever the heck it is. Literally, the ladies are like, this has never happened. I can't get the printer to work. And we're like, okay. And he says, I'm just going to back up. Ladies, I'm going to back up over there, and I'm going to stand over here. And they're like, huh? And he's like, I don't do good with computers. So he backs up back by the kiosk, you know, in the airport there. And how long had we been standing there? Quite a while. Hour. I don't know. Trying to have them figure this out. We had some customs issues with Australia, so we had to work that through. But then all of a sudden, everything just, like, wouldn't work. And then lady goes, the next computer. That printer won't work either. And then three ladies are all like, we can't figure this out. What's going on? Luckily, it's the Bozeman Airport, so it's like nothing happening, right? He just like, I'm going to back up. He just like backs up like 50 feet. <laughs> he stands there for a while and then, mm. boof, the printer works. The thing pops out. And he was telling this lady, I kill him. I don't know what I do. And she's like, oh my gosh, you do kill him. It's you. Because he like backs <laughs> up. And I'm still standing in the same place. Yeah. And then the printer prints out the thing. So I'm kind of on board with that. Okay. And then. Oh, yeah. I have to go through security. I'm the only one there. <laughs> like, you know, people had go, been going through, running their bags through, the little uh, machine scanning it through. Oh, yeah. I get there. They get my bags on the little conveyor thing, and it just stops working. The guy's like, <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like you know, there's only two machines, I think, at yeah. Bozeman. And, you know, I'm the only one there. There's nobody else there. And they're like, hmm, trying to figure out, why did this thing just freeze up? And I was like, oh, again and so they we had to go like they just did the pat down thing and they went and had to start up the other one on the back side and get that one going but i didn't dare walk over there i would have froze that one up too yeah so see we have this so now he believes this to be true Mm -hmm. and so that means he will not work on a computer and how many times have i been at the computer when you have me do something and i'm like and i'm like why is it just froze up? Why is it not working? And then she has to come in and she's like, what did you do? Like, why is it? This never happens. So he should be working with horses and not computers is what I'm saying. (laughs) That's, that's how I feel. I haven't had as uh, significant of incidences that you have had in succession. He doesn't even wear a watch or anything. I mean, he can't. Yeah. I would stay away from the important electronics. (laughs) I think I need to avoid like helicopters, probably. That's oh, you've been idea. in a number of those. Let's not say yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. That's How did else. we get derailed with that? <laughs> but um, I, I really want you to tell us, like, can you share what you do? Like, the tr- I know you do trainings with horses, and are you helping people understand their horse? Are you helping yeah. people work with their horse? Like explain a little bit about how you utilize this in your job. Yeah. So Meyer company ranch horses, the program I run out of Helmville, I have about 15 horses a year and I'll ride those and make them real well-rounded performance horses for ranch work or people to go show or just an everyday horse to use, like people to pack on there. My horses are more expensive, but like you're not going to get in a, not to say you're not going to get in a wreck on them, but when I have people come to purchase a horse, I have them come for a day or two, ride the horse outside, inside, around other horses, observe and make sure it's going to fit. So that's one aspect of what I do. And then I offer clinics where I go and I teach either colt starting or horsemanship or cow work. So colt starting, will I'll go and there will be 10 people and their horses that have never had anything done. 
And by the end of the weekend, I'll have everybody riding their horse and getting along with them. And uh, so we'll do that. And that's a lot of fun for me because a, a horse that hasn't had much handling is a blank slate. And they're so curious and they're excited to do things. And they haven't been muddled with yet. They haven't been calloused. So it's so much fun. And if you avoid the pitfalls and get them to where they want to help you, want to work for you, the horse has this weird innate want to help the person. And maybe it's because they've been used for so long, and that's how we built the West. People forget. We did it on the backs of horses. You know, like all these roads weren't built with a paver in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And the horse just really wants to please you. And if you work with that, and it's like a relationship, you have to let her know that you care about what she cares about. You can't love her with just what you care about. you got to love her with what she feels loved with. That takes time to figure out. Horses the same way because you got to give them guidelines, and they're a big animal. And um, I'm of the thought process of minimal necessary force. Mm -hmm. Do as little as possible to get the job done and nothing more. Mm -hmm. It's a calculated response. And it works good with, with especially with children, because there's a point when our rational thinking isn't developed and we don't know the consequences. And a parent sometimes needs to, to like, put the fear of God in you so you realize, don't run out across that road. Like, you stay right here. There's a time when it's seconds that you have to respond, and they have to understand the seriousness of that. And you can't explain it to them. It, it mm -hmm. can come through minimal necessary force or sternness of your voice for some kids is minimal necessary yeah, force. Paley, our older daughter, she's like, doesn't even like you to look at her the wrong way and she's saying sorry, you know? Yeah. She's super sensitive to that like emotional reaction. Yeah. And it's the same way with horses. It depends. And like what we were talking about with what I do is, um, I've got the program horses and then we were just getting to the colt starting yeah. bit where I'll do clinics with, uh, horsemanship and cow working and then colt starting and people bring their colts in that haven't had anything done and we'll get them started in the weekend and kind of have everybody riding them and that's something that i really enjoy um just because young horses like kids they're so malleable right. they're uh looking at everything with new eyes it's all brand new and they're open and they're, they're wanting to help you. Like, they have such an innate ability to want to work for us. All we have to do is try not to spoil it. It's the same thing with kids. They have such an innate ability to want to learn things. Mm -hmm. Once they start figuring things out, we like that. Mm -hmm. The biggest part with us is not to kill it. Not, right. not, not to ruin it with what we're carrying. Because right. sometimes they'll be so excited about something. And you've had a long day and all this stuff happens. And they don't know about any of it. But then you put that on to them and that's a that's a hard thing and that's what i deal with 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 horses and people like um a lot of times like uh i've had some guys uh for example i had an individual that was an old cowboy a pretty darn good cowboy and um him and his family rode bucking horses and things like that before and he had a horse that he kept getting into trouble with kept getting bucked off of and um he was at the end of his rope, and he kind of he finally came to get some help, and he brought him over, and uh, we, we got together where we were going to ride, and I asked him to show me really what he was struggling with and having a hard time with, and I was getting my horse ready, 
so I could kind of work this horse from my horse so he didn't tug on me and things like that. And before I realized it, I, I hadn't done such a good job of explaining what I wanted. The guy had already got bucked off the horse and was upset. And um, so I had to deal with that. And I had to realize that I should have been more clear on my instructions not to ride him, but to show me where you're moving around, mm -hmm. like where he was getting upset, where things were starting to get bad. So at this time, you know, the guy's ego was kind of hurt because he just got bucked off again. And uh, he came there for help. And um, you know how us guys can get sometimes when our ego gets dinged, we get yeah pretty aggressive. Yeah. And so he was grumpy, and I start to work the horse, and he goes, well, why don't you just get on him? And I was like, well... I didn't say this, but in my head, I was like, well, did you just see what happened to you? Like, I'm not special. I'm not just going to get on and he's going to do what I want. I've got right. to help him understand I'm not out to get him. Right. So I kind of work the horse around for a while and get him relaxed. And I figure out what was troubling the horse. And um, what was troubling him was the guy was pulling on him, which since the horse is a prey animal, he gets away on his feet. And if you jeopardize his feet, he feels like he can't get away. So the situation escalates he goes to the next thing explosive dynamic force jumping bucking running away and that's what he'd been doing so i got on the horse and my lead rope is what i steer with and i just tied that up and i just got on the horse and i wanted to work on the movement the forward just allowing the horse to know that he can move when a horse realizes he can move with you on him and you're not going to impede his motion it brings him great confidence and it relaxes him because he understands you care about the thing that's most important to him his feet because that's how he gets away right if you're pulling on that lead rope and you mess up and do too much and make him stumble or make him feel like he's going to fall and he's never had a human up there before he's going to feel like he's under attack because where a horse would get eaten is on the ground when he falls down so they take that very seriously and that's when the problems occur and that's what had happened with this particular horse so once i got through that first transition from the horse going from the walk to the trot, to the lope, and the horse realized that he could do that, and I wasn't going to get tight and put more energy into him. Because if I were to get real tight and squeeze him or grab a hold of him, which is our natural instinct when a horse takes off, it's going to add more energy to the situation and escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. But if I can stay neutral and relaxed and, and do some breathing and just be in the moment, I can make it through that first transition, and then he realizes he's okay. And, the, you know, I got that done, and the horse hadn't had anybody really ride him successfully, so he really hadn't had any steering done, and I was just kind of steering him around with my rope, and this guy was pretty salty, so I kind of wanted to have my fun with him. And I, I did a maneuver on this horse that's called a, a flying lead change, which you don't really do on horses until they're further along, um, just because it's a, it's a change of gates from the left lead to the right lead or the right lead to the left lead. Right. And it's a, it's a three-beat gate, and it, it has to change in midair. So it's pretty difficult for a young horse to do. And, um, but I felt I could do it with this horse because I had good forward movement, and he was steering really well off my legs in this rope because no one had ever ridden him that way. And I went across the middle, and I did a lead change, and I kind of chastised the guy because that's the youth in me. And I told him that was an extra 100 bucks. And I came around, and I did another lead change and did the same thing. And at this point, he was a little bit disgruntled because he's been riding horses his whole life. And some young guy just came in and rode this horse that's been bucking him and his guys off in a really short amount of time with not a lot of fuss. And um, that goes back to the 
part we're talking about the horse whisperer it's not a special thing it's just being able to control your emotions and be aware of the situation aware of what the horse needed and then on the other side of that one of the coolest things i've had happen and what really made me hungry for this was i've had this has happened with several people men and women but some older guys that are in their 50s and early 60s that are having trouble with a horse and they bring it by and they just can't figure out what it is and a lot of the times they're making excuses for why it's not them and why it is the horse and that's what starts to impede us the the moment that we start to make excuses, we s- stop to see what's in front of us. It, it really, really blurs that. And if you slow down, the horse will tell you what he needs help with, and he won't lie. He, he has no ego. He has no desire to do that. It's not in his nature. His brain isn't like ours. So when you start to show someone who knows a little bit about animals but has been missing that for 50, 45 years... They burst into tears because they realize that they haven't only done it to their horse. They've done it to everybody in their life. You know, the people they work with, their family, their friends, their wife, and that cuts pretty deep. And it happens all at once. This moment of realization from this animal that you thought you loved, but you weren't loving it Mm -hmm. how it wanted to be loved. And you realize it. And that is, when I saw that shift in people, that's when I figured out my part, that I could help people with that because I have the opportunity to do it a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I for the longest time I rode six and seven days a week and rode all these horses to get that experience to help people. And that was kind of how I figured I could help make the world a little bit better is help people get along with their horses, help people understand. And they don't have to do it as long as I do if they get some basic fundamentals, you know? Yeah, I think that that story really stood out for me. I think the first time I met you, you kind of, you hinted to that story about with that old timer. And um, that I think was what intrigued me about wanting to do a podcast with you because you were touching on something that was deeper than just learning to ride a horse or learning to communicate with your horse. You You were like, saying basically I'm helping people like communicate with themselves and understand themselves better and then once you do that they can go back into their lives maybe and just be more aware of their relationships with not just their horse but maybe other humans 100 percent yeah and and that's been my whole thing is the horse was a catalyst for that yeah because they are so aware because they still have to worry about dying like, yes, we still have to worry about dying, but not very much. We got food down the road. We got nice jackets. We got heating. We got cooling. Yeah. We're just not as aware. And with that, we miss some of the wonderful things in life. And the horse, he gives me that opportunity to help people because I don't have to be astute for all of it. The horse will tell me what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been the neatest thing. And the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know and the, the more I get aware of and the more I can help other people with it. Right. And, and that's the neatest thing. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning. All the stimulus. It gets so easy to cover all these things up to where it blurs your vision. Mm-hmm. And we're so darn good at humans at getting focal points. Focused on just one thing. 
Right. And when you focus on just one thing, you can't see the big picture. And working with horses, you got to look at everything that's in front of you. You can't just focus on the foot or the shoulder, which so many times people do, and that gets you in a lot of trouble. So many people, it pulls you into the moment. When you've never been around them because they're so big, mm -hmm. you feel like you have to pay attention because right. it's life or death. It, it snaps us back to that. And that's where the conditioned horse people get in trouble. They quit feeling that. They quit looking at that. They get dull to it. Right. And that's why it was so drastic for, the, for those people that went through that. Whereas those people that don't get to be around it, it immediately snaps them out of their element. Yeah. And, and that's why I've had luck with that. And other people use it as therapy for people with trauma. Right. Because a lot of times people with trauma, they won't really want to talk to you about it and tell you about it because they're a little uncomfortable. And um, the horse, it, it'll pull you out of that where you can't you no longer can think about being worried being scared to talk about this that sensation is gone and your filter blows out the window and that's kind of where all that comes through and that's what's such an, a neat thing about horses is they can be a, a catalyst for that but to do it like, like I was saying to ride horses the way that I like to you've just got to be aware and, and Try not to do so much. Let them express some of their behaviors, mm -hmm. and you'll set it up and let it happen versus trying to make everything happen because mm -hmm. it goes back to, you know, being a good partner or being a good leader. If you're always telling people what to do, you're not going to have happy people working for you for very long. You're going to feel like a slave, like you have to do this. Right. But if you set it up and try and make it their idea, you know, you, you get them to do your thing their way, They've got some stake in the game. Mm -hmm. They've, you know, they feel accountable for it. Whether they succeed or fail, they're accountable for it. Right. And then they want to work for you. And who doesn't want an employee like that? Someone that you don't have to watch. Someone that works harder than you want them to. Right. Because they, they want to succeed. They want to please you and do well. Mm -hmm. Horses and people are that way. But you've got to lead them. Not boss them around, but you've got to lead them. And to do that... It, um, that's where the horses help me. Not that I'm perfect by any means. I've got tons of flaws, but it helps you get your things in order. Because right. you and I talked about this. You can't do your job if your life is chaos. I mean, you can do it, but you're not going to be at your peak. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, I, I struggle with, um, well, one, I struggle with my personality and my ability to do a lot of things um but as i've gotten older it's like i can do a lot of things but when i'm doing a lot of things i can't do any one thing really good and i'm definitely if i were to admit it is i i feel like i'm a way better clinician than i am even a mother or a wife or i don't know you know because i've dumped so much of my being into my profession and into helping other people and it's it's um so as I get older I have to be really aware of what my limits are like if I don't sleep it's really bad I mean ask Ryan he just gets like he he sleeps really hard when he sleeps so that's not a problem for him and he can be sleep deprived um and seem to be okay I have too much sleep deprivation. Uh, everything becomes like really hard for me to manage. I can't handle that. Um, and that's gotten worse over the years, probably with young children, you know, that made it worse. But um, what I, and so I find myself getting distracted and then overly worrying about things because that's my nature as well. So I feel like when I can focus more on 
simple things and then have that present time where I'm not distracted by the phone and I don't, I can just let the million things that I have to go, go for that minute, then it, then it helps a lot. And the other thing is exercise. I think that exercise really is important. I know for myself, if I don't exercise, it's kind of the same thing, like not sleeping. I start getting too much in my head and too much in those things and I become really distracted too much energy. Too much energy. We, we have yeah. an expenditure that we need to meet. And yeah. with so many people's jobs, yeah, you work hard all day, but if you're sitting down and you're inside, you're not meeting that expenditure. And it's going to play with your mind because right. it's got nowhere else to go. Right. You know, and I, I think whether it's hunting or exercising <sighs> or painting or whatever, you can find that flow state where you slip in and you're in the moment and time slips by and you don't even realize that it's happening and you're feeling and everything's right there that brings a peace to your life and everybody can feel it yeah you know some people can do it with a book they can slip into that story and the other downside of that is people do it with tv and cell phones right they have all these feelings whether they know it or not and they don't want to feel them, so they get on their phone, and they watch this, and they watch other people's lives, and they suck into that mm-hmm. to get away from what they're doing, or a substance, or all of these things. We have so many avenues now, and that gets back to what we were talking about in the beginning. There's so many more choices. You know, it's um, times are easier, but there's way more outlets to take, to take you down a path that might not really be that great for you. Right. Yeah, I had one of my counselors tell me a horse would be good for me. <laughs> she actually told me that, and I was, like, thinking in my head, are you crazy? Like, I have time to take care of a horse, right? That's where my head goes. Like, I don't have time to take care of a horse. I, that's, like, so much more work than I have time for. And I think what she meant is it would be really nice for you to have something to be present with that's not, you know, that isn't, you know, that can give back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it- unlike maybe even my work, you know. Because you give a lot and you do get back based on the patient getting better or whatever. But, you know, it's it's not the same type of relationship. Um, yep. well, just the because horse, it, it can't be. It has to well, be. you always have people take from you. Take, 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 take. And they're not trying to be bad people, no. but they come to you for help. I just did it. Yeah. They're, they're coming and that takes energy. A horse doesn't want a dang thing from you. Right. Yeah, that's he, what it is. He doesn't. Yeah. He just wants you to be nice to be around. Yeah. That's it. And for you, because you don't know much anything about him, it would it would pull you into the moment. Yeah. Because you'd have to be aware because you don't know what's going on, like we were talking about. Your little girls love horses. Yeah. But you guys don't know a darn thing about them. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that's pretty overwhelming. You have yeah. all these thoughts. You want things to be safe and go right. I I think there is a aspect of it that you would really enjoy yeah. in a companionship, even though I know animals aren't exactly your thing. Oh, they're my thing. <laughs> they're just another responsibility. I think that I have, again, back to my issue of having too many responsibilities. I feel overwhelmed, and then we get, you know, a litter of puppies and another, and then I start like, what? Oh, I got too much going on. But the puppies and the others, they're just so much fun. Like, it's so cool. It's so cute to see them and be around them. But they get up every morning at 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they poop and pee all over the place. And you got to be aware and conscious of them. So tell people, like, where they can find you, like, where you're at. Give them your information. How to follow you on Instagram. I can do stuff. it. I'm on Meyer Company Ranch Horses on Instagram, mm-hmm. on Facebook, and on YouTube. Um, 
I put up little clips and little helpful things about horses and how they think and then uh, just some philosophy, philosophic stuff on there. And on YouTube, I do fully full-length explanational videos. I don't cut or edit anything mm. because I think there's a lot of mysticism in the horse industry. And so many people want you to think things are one way and not show you the full process. And that doesn't help people when they're trying to work on it. They go and try and work on it, and they have all these things happen that they never saw the trainer run into. And it's not because the trainer didn't run into them. He might have avoided a few of them, but he hit a lot of them, or he did them before the camera got going. So that's been one thing I've really tried to do is do everything in one take. And it's not always easy because you're working with an animal, and I'm not perfect. And uh, But that's what I do, and I put out things to help people, and I do online coaching for people that are far away. Um, where they can just submit videos to me and I'll review them and edit them and give them feedback and things like that. Mm, and How cool. That's pretty much where you can reach me. And if you want to set up a clinic for horsemanship or colt starting, you can go to MeyerCompanyRanchHorses.com and contact us through the email or the Instagram or the Facebook, any of that stuff. I'm pretty accessible on the Internet. And you have how many head horses right now at your ranch? 32. 32. And how many cows? Uh, about 1,600 mother cows. Yeah, so you're a busy guy. Yep, we're we're weaning calves this week. Ah, yeah. So you are not too far from us. You're between Deer Lodge and Missoula, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Right, pretty area. Oh my yep. gosh. Um, it's a beautiful valley. A little chilly, but it's beautiful. <laughs> Everything in Montana is. Oh, hold on, babe. Let me turn you up. There you go. Oh wait, no, that's number four. There you go. What were you saying? Everything in Montana is chilly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned maybe bringing the girls out in the spring to your place to see the horses and do all that. That would be awesome. Oh, it would be a great time. Yeah. yeah. Our daughters, our older daughter did lessons. She really loves horses. She's kind of, she's very animal-bonded type child. Um, and Tana was on a horse this spring and absolutely loved it and kept asking for a horse after that. And so... I was like, oh, no, and maybe I'm not going to get a horse for myself, but maybe someday. Get well, I will girls. tell you, if you bring them, it's not going to help your case of not getting a horse. I know, <laughs> I know. especially your horses. They're, prob- pa- they're probably Paley. magical. <laughs> They'll be Paley. like, oh, my gosh. Paley will absolutely love it. No, she, she loved it when she could go ride down at the stable just down the, the road from our house. Yeah. So, um, it's too bad, yeah, I think. How far? So how far is that? About an hour from us? Yeah, probably two about hours. an hour and a half. Probably about an hour and a half. Yeah. From okay. Bozeman, it's about two hours and thirty minutes. That's no, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's a. It's Paley's going to want to make that a like a every other week type sure. thing for sure. We'll put Paley to work on your ranch. <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> you go. First job. <laughs> you you can send her to Camp Baroni. <laughs> there you go. That's what you should do. Oh my gosh! Uh, I think. You should do a camp for troubled youth, for That's people like you that lived with what you lived as a kid and help them, I don't know, foster kids or kids that are been ended up in these, you know, the camps for boys or whatever, you know, from crime or aggression. Like, I don't know. I just feel like this could be some way to really serve those children that maybe they would go the way you went instead yeah. of continuing the legacy of abuse and abuse stuff in, that you had yeah i i agree i've helped a little bit with that and done some volunteering on that and that's something 
that I kind of would like to do and have planned a little bit mm-hmm. for in the future and hope to do. Because it, like we were talking about earlier, it's such a catalyst and it helps people open up when they're so calloused and they've been hardened by life and their situations that they don't want to talk about. The horse helps cut that out of the way because he, you know, so many people are scared of them when they actually get on them because they don't know. They're, they feel this thing under them and they don't know what to do with it. And when you have that feeling, it's pretty hard to BS. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't because you're concerned about something. Your brain's processing these other things like we were talking about. You don't have energy to fib and cover things up. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is a great tool for that. Yeah, and kind of like along the lines of what you and I were talking about before we even started this podcast, Tristan, was, uh, you know, not just uh, uh, the horses, but just being away from it all, away from the city life. You know, I think we, we mentioned cities make people weird, um, you know, and with kids, you know, even with adults, like a, a big part of why we go hunting, you know, you get to forget about um, the fast pace, you know, the work, the nonsense, uh, all those things. And then you really do like think about things that matter a whole lot more. And I think, I mean, that's got to be one of the most valuable pieces for kids, especially troubled kids, um, being out on a ranch or on a mountain away from it all and actually like going through the daily chores of what you have to do at a ranch, something mm-hmm. like that, and, and actually seeing what does matter and all the nonsense that you can just kind of kick to yeah. the side. Well, and you can't run from your thoughts and your heads because you don't have all that stimulus that you can usually cover it up with or patch it with. And I feel like that's the biggest thing. And like what you said, hunting is for you and hunting is for me and horses are for me. And I think, if anything, that's what I would say from this podcast. I don't know very much, but I do know the people that I've met myself. If you can enter the state that we're talking about, like a flow state, where you're not thinking of anything else except for what's happening at the moment, I don't care what it is. Hopefully it's something good that helps people and makes the world a better place, but take the time to pursue that. You deserve it for yourself. Like, we're all busy I'm here with you guys. You are some of the busier people there are, and you make time for that. You, you have to because if you don't make time for yourself, you can't help anybody else. You know. So I, I, for me, that's the most important part, and that's helped me find a lot of happiness and a lot of peace and um, help rationalize some of the things in my life and be a victor rather than a victim is have that time to process it. Well said. Love that. Wow. Absolutely. Beautiful. Okay, well... We will say goodnight because we've been here a while. And, um, but you should come have dinner, and we'll come out to your place sometime. Come to our place in Three Forks. and Absolutely. Yeah. Eat some wild if game. Come, if you come through town again. Perfect. Well, you'll be coming back again. So. Yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah, okay. So thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You're welcome. It. Thanks for doing thanks, this. Thanks, Tristan. The Stealthy Hunter website and the Hunt Harvest Health podcast is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your own health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider.